Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Health Connect South Radio. Brought to you by Sherwick Media, your health and wellness content specialist. Health Connect South is to serve the health community as a sustainable platform for regional health collaborations. Through our collective work, we seek to broadly define and advance the Southeast role in the future of health. Serving as a gateway between health industry silos, we seek to provide unique and meaningful partnership opportunities in health. We are pleased to share this information and these experts with you as part of our mission. Want to be part of the discussion? Join in, tweet questions and comments at HealthCon Radio. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's CW, and on this week's Health Connect South radio show, introduced you to two more innovative healthcare technology companies. Osama Hashmi, the CEO and co-founder of a company called Vitamin C, No, they don't produce dietary supplements. They're working on a platform that interfaces with an EMR in a physician's office, giving them a measure of automation as it relates to engaging with their patients. This is particularly important with wellness type visits that, you know, maybe the patient feels fine so they don't take the time to schedule a wellness visit or maybe a patient with diabetes, for example, that could benefit from more frequent interaction with their providers, uh, giving them information about their vital signs, about their blood glucose levels, how much they're exercising, things like that. When the patients don't feel poorly, a lot of times they don't get around to making those appointments. And this platform that vitamin C is developing will do two things. It'll make the process a little bit more easy for a very busy physician's practice where where they may have hundreds or even thousands of these patients they need to communicate with, do that a little bit more efficiently. And then also on the patient side, you're going to improve their outcomes and make it more likely that the patient's compliant with the recommended treatment regimen by staying in closer contact and hitting those follow-up visits that they need to get to. We also introduced you to Weaver Gaines. He's the president and CEO of a company called OB Medical Company. They saw an opportunity to improve the monitoring process that's going on when a mother is in the delivery room having a baby. In fact, in over 40 years, the technology that is being used to monitor contractions, uh, fetal heart rate, mom's heart rate, things like that, haven't really changed too much in that four decades. What they saw was an opportunity to create a wireless device that uses electrodes, much like you would see on an EKG, for example, that enables the device to more accurately monitor contractions, their intensity, the baby's heart rate, mom's vital signs, things like that, wirelessly. And even in cases where maybe the mom is very large with her pregnancy or very obese, for example, those things make the traditional technology a little bit less accurate. The OB Medical Company's device they're getting ready to roll out now actually greatly improves that accuracy and allows the mom to be able to do things like get up and move around in the room during the labor phase. Maybe she has to go to the restroom, for example, things like that, that would require quite a process to unhook her from all the wire to allow her to move around. Now that doesn't have to happen. She can actually stay connected to the monitor and actually be able to be more mobile and comfortable during the labor process. Coming up, Osama is going to talk about their cool new vitamin C platform. Check it out. What we actually are building is a technology supplement called it vitamin C because we try to be a vitamin for communication. Our focus is actually helping physicians use their existing data to better connect with their patients for quality improvement, for revenue generation, for better patient care. The problem that we're really trying to solve is the usability factor of electronic medical records. You know, a physician invests lots of money into an EMR, and what we do is allow them to get a lot of impact out of that data. And so we're working with a variety of different physician practices, oftentimes in the wellness space, recruiting patients, getting patients to get back on protocols, and really helping physicians really easily transition to this new age of value-based care from their traditional fee-for-service systems. And here's Weaver talking about why they decided they needed to step up and innovate in 
a delivery room monitoring. So what you see when you see the typical monitoring solution right now are these two disc-shaped things called transducers that are strapped onto the mother's belly with Velcro straps. They go all the way around and they're tight and uncomfortable for many women. And some women are, are just simply too round. You can't get the transducers to work. And the two transducers, one is called a toco dynamometer. Everybody calls it toco for obvious reasons. That picks up the mother's contractions basically from a change in skin tension. So it works like a strain gauge on your bathroom scale. And if you're obese enough, the skin tension doesn't change, so it can't pick up contraction. And the other transducer is an ultrasound, and it picks up the baby's heartbeat essentially by sending out a pulse that looks to pick up the change in the space that will happen when the baby's heart contracts. And then it also is transmitted into the standard monitor. There's a monitor in everybody's room, and all this stuff plugs into it with these cables, and that also has its problems. And the main problems, you kept talking about physicians, CW, but the people who are usually there most of the time doing most of the work, if you're out of a nursing background, it will come as no surprise to you, is not the doctor, it's the nurse. And they're in the room all the time trying to get these transducers to work well. So I have a kind of private theory about why it's gone on so long like this. I mean, in, in private, this is a woman's health care issue, and for a lot of years, women's health care really didn't get the kind of attention that you would expect it to get. And nope, mothers have been having babies for hundreds of thousands of years. I guess pretty much people thought, well, they'll go right on having babies and this is good enough. But it's not good enough. So if the, in, if the external devices don't work, what you have to do next is internal. So the two things you can do internally, you can put in an intrauterine pressure catheter which measures the contractions, or you can put in a fetal scalp electrode, which is screwed into the baby's scalp to pick up the fetal heart rate. And of course, those solutions have got their own problems. Right. They risk infection. You can't use them if the mother has a systemic infection like herpes or HIV or hepatitis C. It requires, in many states, has to have a physician come put it in. So you got to call the physician and wait during which time the mother is not being monitored. Um, and it, it can perforate the uterus. There are lots of bad things about these internal devices. But if you can't get a good external read, you have to do one of two things. You have to put in the internal devices or, if you're concerned enough, you do a cesarean section. So cesarean infections are increasing in this country. They're up at about 30% now of all birds. And they're bad for the baby and they're even bad for the mother. So it would be nice if we didn't have to do these internal devices and it would be nice if we hadn't do, didn't have to do the cesarean infections that are presently being done. And that's what OB Medical's product, which we call LaborView, is aimed at um, ameliorating and taking care of. Stick around, we got the full interview with Osama Hashmi of Vitamin C and Weaver Gaines of OB Medical Company coming up next. And good morning everyone, it is C.W. Hall joining you for Health Connect South Radio Show episode 31. 
Joined in studio by my regular co-host, Diana Keo of Sherwick Media Group. It's great to be here. Great to be back in the studio. <laughs> it's an exciting launch this morning. <laughs> We've also got Jay Schaefer, Chief Operating Officer from Health Connect South with us in the studio. Good morning, CW. Good morning, Diana. Good morning, Jay. And now we're, we're down to days. 21 days, but who's counting? That's right. Before the Health Connect South event coming up September 16th, it's going to be held at the Georgia Aquarium, taking over the whole aquarium. I'm going to have the run of the place. I think I'm going to set up my, my radio show in the uh, giant aquarium room and sit there and tap on the glass. <laughs> I actually think you should have scuba gear on. That would be awesome. Yeah. And then have a headset and then just make people get in the tank with me and do yeah. it underwater. With a snorkel. That'd be great. <laughs> Good luck for you. Yeah. <laughs> There's some comment I should make about, well, at least then we'd understand them. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'd have a reason to have mush mouth at that point, I guess. So talk about some of the cool people that are going to be joining us on that first event. Oh, that's great. Thanks, C.W. Well, we're real excited. The featured speakers, Dr. Tom Frieden from the director of the CDC is going to be there. He's going to be there first thing in the morning. So you got to make sure that you show up. The networking starts at 730 and the program will start properly at 825. We have Dr. Lewis Sullivan at the end of the day to make sure everybody, uh, former secretary of health and human services. And also we have a couple of, of the new CEOs that are in the organization. So Gary Reedy, CEO of the American Cancer Society, and Ambassador Marianne Peters, CEO of the Carter Center, will also be uh, featured speakers during the day. Well, and so when they show up and when these big names are, I mean, what can we expect them to talk about? I mean, what, what would compel me to come and listen to these big speakers? Well, the theme of the Health Connect South this time is the preparedness and knowing people, as uh, Charlie Stokes, the head of the CDC Foundation, likes to say, a disaster is no time to be pulling out your business card. So the time for to come to Health Connect South and meet and make collaborations with people that you never know when you may need to uh, be in touch with these folks. So the idea is meet, uh, tell us what you do and what you need, and we'll see if there's ways to make connections with other people. There's so such a rich density of health organizations here in the Southeast. I've been really pleased to see that the show here has, in fact, done exactly what we want it to. We've had numerous guests now make connections, having been here on the show to talk about what they're doing. And clearly, the the big event coming up in September is, is one you're not going to want to miss for that reason. You're going to have opportunity to meet hundreds mm-hmm. of potential partners and and collaborators uh, sources of capital um whatever the case may be they're going to be there i met i met diana there you know so and your uh, life has never been the, the same it, right. i'm transformed well, forever we are so grateful to diana and Sherwick because like i say the radio show is a microcosm for what health connect south is trying to do we've had people meet in the studio here and just the other day the uh, clinical studies the folks from uh, Bethany Bray from Auto Recruitment and Ryan Jones from Foreign Healthcare. They're w- opposite ends of uh, yeah. clinical studies, and they met right here in the studio. And for folks who aren't familiar with Sherwick, Diana, tell them what you all do over there. We are a health and wellness content production company. So we not only supply content for other media companies, but also everyone really within the healthcare ecosystem. And beyond, you don't just do healthcare. Well, that's true. We do do a lot of, um, you know, we do a lot of non-healthcare clients as well. We, I mean, our, our bread and butter is healthcare, but we are really, I mean, it, amazing to me, um, expanded rapidly into a non-healthcare sector as well. And you did all of the, the videography that we saw at the event last year and we all did. the, the 
digital media yeah. that were was a part of the event. And we'll be doing the same this year as well. Like the opening video is actually being shot by my folks, my my team now, and it's amazing. I mean, it is multimedia fascinating blowout amazing uh, i've seen the work and it's it's really great except for that one there was one friday flyer that you did with some guy brown i don't remember his <laughs> name around the holidays it was me <laughs> uh, no, i no. like that and all of the contents on the website and also the youtube channel so we go back and look at those videos frequently well that's nice to hear yeah that's right and uh, today in the studio, we have uh, Osama Hashmi. He's the CEO and founder of a company called Vitamin C. I met him through the Midtown Business Radio Show, I think it yep. was. Clearly, there's some, some value in having you here on the Health Connect South Radio Show because there's still collaborations that you're trying to form. For sure. You're filling a space in the healthcare industry, bringing a solution that will help a lot of physician practices in the wellness space like pediatricians, primary care, um, and some others. So uh, thanks for coming in hot on the on the landing and uh, thank you <laughs> joining thank you. us here in the studio we'll start with you osama um introduce folks to what exactly we're talking about with vitamin c because we're not talking about a supplement no we're, we're definitely not although it can get confused pretty easily with with the name so what we actually are building is a technology supplement called it vitamin c because we try to be a vitamin for communication our focus is actually helping physicians use their existing data to better connect with their patients for quality improvement for revenue generation for better patient care the problem that we're really trying to solve is the usability factor of electronic medical records you know a physician invests lots of money into an emr and and what we do is allow them to get a lot of impact out of that data. And so we're working with a variety of different physician practices, oftentimes in the wellness space, recruiting patients, getting patients to get back on protocols, and really helping physicians really easily transition to this new age of value-based care from their traditional fee-for-service systems. So all of that sounds great in theory. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how? I mean, what does it look like? Walk me through what you're talking about. Definitely. So so I'm actually really happy that you brought that up because one of those things, we're in this space called population health. And one of the things about population health, it's one of those great buzzwords that sounds amazing in theory. Um, and it's really difficult to implement. And so that's really where we focus is making things simple to implement um, for physician practices. Um, what we've built out is a system that we call a protocol system. And it, it allows different areas of practice to collaborate over a single patient, bring in the various pieces as necessary. Um, and so our system's really, really cool in that it can automate different types of follow-up for a patient depending on how they're progressing and depending on their specific needs. And it's really easy to build those systems for new practices. So literally we go into a practice and it might be a hospital in New York or it might be a small primary care practice here in Georgia and we can build a protocol, implement that protocol within a couple of days. Um, and so we're working on a variety of different um, protocols with a variety of different physician practices right now. In Athens, we're working with a hep C clinic um, targeting underinsured patients. Um, in Atlanta, we're working with a pediatrician practice and actually just got connected with a plastic surgery practice. Um, in Alabama, we're working with another uh, primary care practice. And we're actually starting to work with a biotechnology company, company in Ohio that's connecting us with uh, psychology practices. So there's a lot of different use cases for what, we're for what we're building. And really, the focus is making it really easy to implement. And that's kind of our secret sauce. All right. So take me a little bit deeper. So for someone that's listening to this, and you know, we use a lot of acronyms and throw a lot of um, abbreviations in, or even use population health. Right. Let's start there as far as the why does a population health need a protocol and further what is a protocol? So tell me what definitely. that is. No, I'll, I'll definitely go into it. So a little bit on, on my background, when uh, I was in college, I worked a lot in healthcare policy. And one of the things that I was doing 
Um, I worked for the Greater Newark Hospital Association. At that time, there was this great prevention agenda um, where the governor came out with an agenda that we want to decrease obesity rates, we want to decrease depression rates, we want to improve the overall health of our community, which is one of those great kind of objectives. Yeah, it's a great a great stump it's, speech. Exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a great speech. Um, and so what I was actually tasked with was actually designing programs for lots of different hospitals in New York for actually how do you go about implementing that? When you have a certain patient population, how do you actually go about to uh, decreasing the depression rate? How do you actually go about um, increasing the overall wellness of the community? The issue that came up a lot is that each hospital is different, each patient population is different. Um, but what we kind of had with this high level view is that oftentimes the way to engage populations and the, what you ne really need is oftentimes the same. So it doesn't matter if you're a diabetic, it doesn't matter if you're depressed, it doesn't matter if you have X, Y, and Z chronic condition. Oftentimes it's really just knowing what you need to do tomorrow keeping track of it, and then having someone hold you accountable to that. And so if you can provide that kind of system to a physician to provide to his patients, um, where it's really easy to, for a patient to know what they need to track, really easy for a physician to know which patients are off track, and really easy for them to re-engage with those pa patients in semi-automatic ways, then you can design lots of different programs using those core core principles. All right, so give me an example. I'm a diabetic patient. What do right. I need? What is what is it that um, I'm going to need from my doctor? Definitely. So as a diabetic patient, diabetes and other chronic conditions are, are long-term sorts of sorts of illnesses. And so um, if you go to a diabetes educator, they're going to tell you 50 different things that you need to do. You need to make sure they exercise more. You need to make sure that you're eating right. You want to make sure that you're checking your, your sugars the right way every day. You want to make sure you're getting the blood test, the A1C test done. Um, and so what vitamin C actually does is we build that protocol into, into our system and we can check through the EMR and through what the patient is doing on whether that patient is actually moving forward on those steps and which step the patient is having a problem with. So the idea being that a lot of times, and this is actually what happened when, when we were working with hospitals in New York, a lot of times you'll prescribe all these great things for, the, for these patients and they won't do any of them. And what vitamin C allows a physician to do is actually to single, kind of break down all of those big giant goals into tiny steps and allow patients to progress at their own pace. Um, the idea being that if you can better track patients, then you can better know which steps they're, they're doing well on. And then the next time they come in, even if they haven't done every single step, they've at least accomplished one step well. Um, and so it's, it's helping physicians kind of manage this long-term care with, with a smaller population that they, might, that they might face. So the EMR is actually in my doctor's office, though. How does that communicate with me when I go home? Definitely. So, so the EMR is really our physician interface. It's where we know who the patients are that we should target. Um, it also allows us to know which billing, um, which insurers are actually paying for certain different services. So if you're a Humana patient, they want their diabetics managed in a very different way than a Blue Cross Blue Shield pa uh, patient might, might or a patient who's uninsured. Um, and so we can build different protocols matching what your insurance will actually provide for you. So that's what the EMR comes in. What we actually do is actually link that data um, from the patient. So we use uh, different messaging like text messages, phone calls, and actually pull that data from a patient, you know, give the, ask them, have you taken your blood sugar today? Have you done your A1C test? You know, there's a, there's a new service that's coming out in the next couple of weeks. Are you interested? Do you want to sign up? And make it really easy for us to know who we should target from the EMR get those patients to do what we need to do and then push that data back into the medical record for the physician to see. So basically we need to have um, patients that have smartphones that have the ability and actually the knowledge base or the technological know-how to download your app then? Actually, no. So we, we've been considered, uh, lots of people have told us to, to build an app, but oftentimes the patients that we're targeting, they're not the patients that use smartphones or use apps. Um, for that clinic in Athens, there's 
the the majority of the patients don't even have a smartphone. They have regular phones. But what we found is that for... A regular meaning flip phones. A flip phone, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so the best thing that you can actually do is either text message them or phone call them. So we've built out these different phone call trees and text message trees, which allow patients to interact back and forth, which has gotten a pretty good response. Granted, not every single patient's going to engage, but even having a 60, 70% engagement rate for us is really, really good because it gives more information for that physician um, in a very automated fashion that they didn't have before. So do they text back or how do you actually know that they're engaged or actually, you know, actually doing what you're asking them to do? So our phone call, so with the phone call and the text messaging system, yes, they can receive and send back messages according to the question that was asked for them. Um, the phone call system, we can also tell if a patient's picked up the phone, if a voicemail is left, if we contacted the right person, if there's an alternate number. So it's a pretty sophisticated system that we've built out for the phone calls and the text messages. And it's all about knowing has the patient done what they need to do and trying sometimes to go around um, different ways of, of are they picking up the phone or are they not? You know, who, who should we contact next? Who when is the right time to bring the provider back into the story? Yeah, because just because I've answered my phone doesn't mean I've walked the mile I'm supposed to. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. you know, again, how do you actually, is this self-reporting? How is it actually recorded? Yeah, a, lo a lot of it is self-reporting. And, and one of the things that we found with the patients that we're working with is that if they are self-reporting and if they know that their physician is looking at what they're doing, they're not going to lie. I mean, and once again, it's never going to be 100%. We're never going to get 100% Yeah, because those some all yeah. patients lie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Have, have you not seen House? No, the TV of course. Show? Of course. <laughs> Of course. Yeah. De definitely. Um, and, and the way the way that we build it out is very much to, to make it so that it's easier for the patient to do kind of the small steps. Less so of have you walked a mile a day, more so have you walked at all this week. Um, and starting patients off there and making it really easy to progress to that. It's, it's very rarely a mile a day. More, more or less, it's 30 minutes of, of some sort of exercise um, today is, is the end goal for a lot of these patients on exercise routines. Um, but yeah, there's, there's always going to be a problem with patients lying. There's always going to be a problem with patients you know, not wanting to be engaged. Um, but what we really try to build is, is a system for the physician and for the patients who do want to be engaged or do want a little bit extra help. So I understand why this would work or even be necessary in a you know, pediatric or a, you know, primary care. I understand why it would be necessary in a hep C clinic. I'm a little bit lost on the whole plastic surgery. Right. Yeah. So tell, tell me how, I mean, we've gone from one spectrum. Why, 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 why? The so so <laughs> if, if, the, if the core, you're asking great questions. If the core of, of vitamin C, which it is, is making sure patients need to do what they need to do, plastic surgery and, and dermatology are, is definitely one of those cases where a patient comes in for a procedure and they'll have a procedure done, but they won't follow up in the correct ways for that procedure. So there's oftentimes follow-up work that needs to be done. There's certain symptoms that are important to, to recognize. And for a lot of patients, either through, you know, they're, they're embarrassed or they don't want to come in or they had this one thing done and they feel like they're done, um, there's a lot of drop-off. And so we're trying to help the, the surgeons and the dermatologists improve kind of their, their follow-up rates with, with patients um, with the healthcare that those patients need. Yeah, and I can understand how this would be really useful in a psychology setting or even a psychiatric setting, um, especially for PTSD or even depression on that constant follow-up. And have you, you know, again, checking in with patients to make sure that, you know, everything is okay. Definitely. 
definitely. We've so, been talking with CEO and founder of a technology company called Vitamin C. Osama Hashmi is sitting with us in the studio. We're learning about how their application ends up being an add-on feature for EMRs that, as Osama was talking about, helps increase the level of engagement with patients that need some measure of follow-up or um, prodding, if you will, in particular areas to stay compliant with regimens such as, as Diane was talking about, um, with uh, diabetic patients, for example, or patients that maybe need a little bit more intensive touch um, from a psychology perspective with different problems that they're dealing with. And if, if I remember correctly, when you were here before on Midtown Business, one of the things you mentioned is that it's actually possible for the providers to have these communications, the automated communications, be in their own voice. Is that right? Right. right. So, so a lot of the communication, what we do is we more or less build a script for the providers and they can either use their own voice for the phone calls or we'll you know, create, create the different scripts and then send it to them for, for approval. Um, the whole point being minimizing the work on the provider's end, but also making it feel as high touch as possible, even though it is, it is automated. And with, the, with that automated call, if I'm the, the patient you're reaching out to for whatever purpose that I'm, you know, I'm engaged with the, the practice for, how does it let me know this is a recording? <laughs> no, it, it, no, and I, it actually, I don't start trying to chat with the, with the, the system. No, it actually uh, tells you that this is a recording. Um, I think the, the script that we used most recently was, hey, this is Dr. Jones calling from X, Y, and Z practice. Um, we've been reviewing a few of our patient records, and we're sending an automated message to some of our patients about an important preventative service. Give us a call back at this number. Um, and if they pick up, then we actually, we actually say press 1, and you'll be connected with our office. Um, and we're building out scheduling systems as well, so where a patient can schedule straight from the, the phone call. Um, and so that requires a little bit more integration. But we're, our goal as a company is to make it as engaging as possible for patients. And so the easier we can make it for patients, the more high touch we can make it, the better it's going to be. Um, and so we have a pretty good system now, but it can definitely, we're, we, have a, we have a great vision for where it can be in the future. And how big can these patient populations be? I mean, the clinics that you're actually talking about have, what, a, a maximum of X many. But how big can you actually go as far as keeping track of that many yeah. Think of a patient population. The, the great thing about our technology is kind of infinitely scalable since we're on Amazon Web Services. The biggest patient population that we've targeted just yet has been 10,000 total patients. Um, but we've been in discussions with 50, 100,000 total patient populations for large health systems. Um, but we haven't we haven't actually implemented with there yet. So so there's probably going to be things that, that come up from there. But we've built the technology in a way that is it is really easy to scale up um, for the patient populations. So Osama, listeners can't see how young you are. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I want to go back to your background. Yeah, because you're talking about working for the governor and setting policy. I mean, you look like you're you know, I'm not, this is flattering. You look like you're about 16. Nice. Um, and so kind of take me back. I mean, what is your background? I mean, what did you major in? And, you know, how long have you been doing what you're doing? Yeah. Uh, so my journey in healthcare actually started when I was 13, which was okay, 10, so ten, was ye- ten years, years ago. ago, 10 okay. years ago, 10 years ago. I'm 23 now. Um, but I started working for physician practices and I actually love medicine. Medicine is awesome. And I'm sure all of you guys here know medicine is amazing because you actually, it doesn't matter what economic background you're from when you're a patient you're in a very vulnerable position and physicians and the healthcare system actually help you to feel better regardless of who you are and what your background is and I just love that about medicine Um, but I worked for enough physicians to know that oftentimes the healthcare system itself can put physicians and patients down oftentimes it's really difficult for physicians to do what they want to do for their patients to do the right things and for patients to know what they need to do really easily Um, and so going into college I knew I wanted to be a physician and also 
had this crazy idea of I wanted to impact healthcare more than just seeing my patients. I wanted to help them outside the office. So I had, I had a pretty crazy college career. So I did my bachelor's and my master's at UGA um, concurrently, uh, did a master's in healthcare management, uh, spent my freshman year working actually in DC for a lobbyist suing Medicare um, on behalf of primary care physicians. So that was a great eye-opening experience. Um, then worked for the Greater New York Hospital Association, had this idea for a company, went to Stanford for a couple of months to do research on EMR integrations. Um, we built this company and uh, started out my senior year kind of bootstrapping it as much as possible with some local developers in Athens, got our first hospital signed up. Um, and then I went to medical school and I actually just finished my first year of medical school. Oh and uh, now it is, uh, I'm on a I'm No on wonder a he was deferral. running late. <laughs> actually, I'm running late just because, just because of traffic. That's, uh, that's completely my uh, fault. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, a 13-year-old running around a doctor's office, that doesn't, that usually is not happening. So, like, how did, what did you do? Knock on doors and say, I'm 13 and I like to be in your office? Well, I mean, so medicine is very, very competitive nowadays. So, you kind of have to know pretty early if you want to be, be involved. And so, I really just wanted to get involved, and I do. A couple are your parents doctors? My or? parents aren't. Although my dad uh, does work for Johnson Johnson, so he has a little bit of experience knocking on doors and, and talking to doctors, <laughs> and maybe that is, is has been genetically passed on. Um, but yeah, it was just a matter of, of talking to the right people and just saying that you're interested. I think another great thing about healthcare is that if you are really interested in just trying to help people, then doors are really open for you, regardless of whether it's just a shadowing opportunity or an opportunity to work with a practice. Really, as long as your heart's in the right place, lots of people go into healthcare for the right reason. And so when they see a young, naive student, they're, they're willing to talk to you. I, I would never put naive next to you. So, I mean, well done. So you actually are in medical school now. Well, actually, um, we got accepted to a health IT accelerator here in Atlanta called Emergence um, this summer. And they've been a really great help for us. And so next year actually is, is a pretty intense year for medical school. And so I decided that Instead of trying to balance both, I'm going to take a year off. So uh, I submitted my deferral actually a couple of weeks ago. So now I'm working full time on vitamin C and next year I'll be back in medical school. So, but I'll have, a, I'll have a year to to make vitamin C successful. I, I'm speechless. <laughs> I, I feel like I am a slouch. Well, well, I, I won't t talk about being busy now. Um, <laughs> So, so Asamo, as when it comes to the the platform that you're building, the technology side of things, and we've we've discussed the fact that interfaces with EMRs, and clearly there are 650 of them. So, from an interface perspective, if I'm on the provider side of things, I mean, where does the application live? Is there a link that now appears somewhere in my EMR that I click on, and now I'm in the world of vitamin C, how do I actually see it? So it depends on what we're actually doing for the practice. For some practices, we're doing very simple patient recruitment protocols um, where what they actually see is just monthly reports of us saying, these are how many patients we contacted and this is the effect on the patients and how many patients come, came back in. Um, for more intense sorts of protocols, like for the hepatitis C clinic in, in Athens, there is a link that appears that has a single sign-on. They can click it and they'll see the progress of their current patient and the information that the patient was sending in. They'll be able to see that in a really clear format. So it depends on the protocol that we're building out. Also heavily depends on the EMR. Some EMRs are easier to work with than others, um, but that's the, generally the, the two levels. Either we're sending reports and letting the physician know and there's no need for, for them to ever actually see any, any data from, on the system, or they actually do want to see the patient data, and we provide that as a note in the EMR or as a link. So does the, does the vitamin C application open a portal, if you will, to certain areas of the EMR to, to access 
show me the patients that have hepatitis C. Show me right. the patients that have diabetes. Is that how it's getting to those folks to exactly. identify them? So, so there's the there's the input and the output. So the input from the EMRs oftentimes is demographic data. Um, insurance data is really important. So it's from the practice management system as well. Um, and then patient kind of family history, social history. And so that's the kind of data that we get from the EMR. Um, and then pushing back, it's either the monthly reports just straight to the physician or notes in the chart um, for the physician to review when, when they see the patient again. Um, and, and so then you're actually pushing some reports from you all or it's living right there so they can have them at their fingertips? So we're actually pushing reports from our system to them. And, and that's definitely something that, that we're working to, to make as easy for the physicians to see as possible. But we can actually generate some pretty cool analytics. Um, actually, population health so far has been heavily focused just on analytics. And for us, that's just the starting point. You know, analytics can tell you, can show you a great graph of your total number of diabetic patients on and off protocol, but doesn't actually allow you to do anything with it. Um, so the analytics is something that we provide to the physicians, but what we really take take kind of a lot of pride in is actually showing them the results of the protocols that we've built out, saying that, hey, look, before this was your patient population, and today this is what it looks like after after implementing a protocol. I was just going to ask, how, how big is your team? You keep saying we, so is that the yeah. kind so, of the plural? Were you in the plural, or I mean, is it actually a team? We actually have a team of eight. Um, we're, we're based in Athens. All developers are in Athens. We have two guys here in, in Atlanta, me and, and another guy on business development. Um, and so our team is actually pretty, pretty interesting. Lots of people with healthcare backgrounds. One of our team members used to run a substance abuse clinic. Um, another team member used to be a consultant at FTI. Um, and then we have a development team that, that's really strong as well. And we just got in another developer um, in Alpharetta. So we're growing as a team. Um, we were lucky to have a little bit of seed funding in the beginning. Once we got our first hospital, it was a good time to go talk to investors. So we had a little bit of seed funding, didn't spend a lot of it. And now we're really making a strong push to get more people on the team as well as get the right partnerships in place. So are you pre-revenue? Uh, yes, we're, we're pre-revenue, although we just finished our select program. So we created a, a program for providers to work with us um, just to test the system and for us to start working um, on showing the efficacy of it. Um, and we just cl closed out that program, got 10 different practices signed up on the program. Um, and our goal is actually to be um, generating revenue in November um, and then moving forward from there. And that's without medical school in your... Yeah, that's <laughs> yes, right. Yes, you, you can't do it with medical school. <laughs> so, so on that side of things, as a as from a business perspective for vitamin C, um, where do you fit in terms of, is it going to be a an extra cost to add into my EMR if I'm the physician provider? Is that where the revenue is going to come from is from folks that add this to their existing EMR? So so there's there's two different revenue routes that we're going for. One, of course, is direct from the physician just because we're adding so much functionality. And for a lot of times, just direct revenue for the physician practices is, is charging them for it. A second round is actually different sponsors that, sponsors that are actually paying for the system to be implemented in physician practices. So a great example is that biotechnology company that we're working with in Ohio. They're actually paying for vitamin C to be implemented in various different practices just because they want to know the efficacy of their tests with these physician practices. They want to make it easier for physicians to understand um, what's happening with their tests to keep patients on protocol with the correct uh, testing. And so that's another revenue route that we're pursuing. Would health plans be... Uh any sort of a either collaborator that would accel accelerate the rate that folks are finding out about it, or it would seem that they have some measure of skin in the game with regards to how things are reimbursed um, around patient outcomes and things like that. So I don't know. They don't hold the EMR, though, so I don't know how right. you would. 
commercialize yeah, that. It's, it's kind of um, the same kind of route that we take with the biotechnology company, which is they sponsor vitamin C to be implemented in practices to make it easier for practices to implement the protocols that the health plans are trying to push out. So Humana puts, puts out this great diabetes program that they want practices to better engage diabetic patients. The question is, how do you actually implement that in these various practices? And so our, our goal is to be that technology vitamin that's really quickly like, hey, we have this protocol, and hey, now it's going to be really easy to implement it um, for all our practices. And that's one of the reasons why that it makes sense to go ahead and spend a little more money to invest in this technology to be a part of your EMR is because it's not just an extra spend to help you have some automation. As you described earlier, it's actually going to generate some revenue from my practice that can be significant based on what you were saying early on and when we first talked about it a few weeks ago that as these patients now begin to become engaged and they're coming back for follow-up visits well obviously that starts generating revenue that then more than offsets the cost of having the Definitely. And it's oftentimes like the highest revenue uh, services are those preventative follow-up services because they're covered 100% by insurance. There's no need for a copay or deductible on the patient's end. Um, and insurers are really trying to push for it, so they're, so they're paying more for it. Um, and a really cool thing about what's happening now is since we're working with different practices, we can actually learn best best practices from this primary care practice and present it straight to another primary care practice and say, hey, here's a reimbursement, here's a certain type of patient that you should probably be targeting. Um, so it's becoming a really cool ecosystem of, of different ways and different protocols that we're building out with the help of these practices. So with your background, um, you know, what has been your biggest challenge to learn? You know, running a company is a lot different than attending school or even oh, doing right. policy. I, I think um, a big big difference is, is that change from being a student to being a CEO. As a student, you can go and talk to people and, and people are nice to you. And, and the way that you talk to people, it's always through that, you know, I'm just really passionate about what I'm doing. As a CEO, people care about your passion. But if you're working with other businesses, it's oftentimes always about the bottom line and what can you provide for that bottom line. Um, and so it's a different, it's a really shift in mindset, right? Like when I talk to someone, oftentimes it's not about how awesome healthcare is, but it's going to be about how we can improve their practice today and, and tomorrow, and then also asking them to pay for what we're doing, because um, it's no longer a student project that they're doing for free. It's going to be something that they're that they're going to need uh, to pay for, um, and so it, it, that's really been the biggest challenge has been that mindset mind change of of having to be. I'm no longer a student. I'm actually providing something of value, and um, you should pay for it. So, <laughs> does that mean is that another way of saying that you're actually facing rejection whereas before everybody was willing to talk to you exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah let's 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 <laughs> yeah. not let's not let's be real here yeah, but right. and do you find your youth works for you or is that a, a hindrance or i mean how are you finding that it's it's still in, it's still in question as as well as with our name right when we first started emergence and and definitely when people hear our name they're like does that work for you does it hurt and it keeps people at least remembering us and i think our youth keeps people remembering us we'll see long term whether it's a it's a good or, or a bad remembrance hopefully it's a good one and so i mean was this like something you guys were having beers one night and it's like you know vitamin c seems like a good name i mean where did that come from it actually yeah it, it was it was the the origin of the name was actually us thinking about Apple and Apple has such a strong brand and their name is is Apple. And so vitamin C was just another sort of healthcare kind of happy sort of sort of name. We wanted to build a technology vitamin for communication. It fit well. Um, and we wanted to build a brand like Apple where Apple obviously has nothing to do with apples now. 
Um, but you know what what Apple is, and hopefully one day people will know what vitamin C is, um, and it'll, it'll link to them awesome technology. From your lips to God's ears. <laughs> yeah, and as we talked about when we started the show, one of the things that we're trying to do is help you find the resources that you're looking for. I would assume funding is part of that. Anything else that, from a resource perspective that you all are sitting around the boardroom talking about that you need to try to find? Because we just went through the phase, as you were talking about, I introduced you to Dr. Beatty's practice, and um, you were recruiting the 10 practices to help you test things out. Anything else that you're looking for from a collaboration perspective? Well, we're definitely um, at the stage now where we're building up our company and we're looking for board members, actually. So people who actually want to be invested in the company both financially, but more importantly, from a time perspective, from a connections perspective, that's something that we're really looking to to build out right now is, is our board of directors. Um, and then always we're looking for, for people who could use our system, um, people who could help us build protocols specific to their practice, help us market our system, help us build a great system that works for patients. That's our number one priority. So those are the two things. And I mean, you were really helpful last time we came um, with, with connecting us with different practices. And so it's it's been, it's been great uh, to be connected. We have a couple of minutes left before we have to uh, sit down and share the uh, interview that we did with Weaver Gaines. But uh, a couple of final thoughts before we turn it over to Weaver here real quick. Well, I got to thank all you guys for, for letting me come a little bit late. Um, I was sitting in the lobby <laughs> waiting to waiting to be let in. Um, but it's it's all, always great seeing you again, CW. Thank, thanks, everyone, for, for listening in. Definitely, if you feel like our mission is, is worth something uh, to, to put some time into, there's always a way that you can get involved. Even if you're not a customer or investor, we're always looking to even just, just get lunch with people. So if you're listening and, and find what we're doing resonates, definitely hit us up. Where do they go for information? So it, the website is www.getvitaminc.com, and my email is osama, O-S-A-M-A, at getvitaminc.com. Sounds great. I mean, I hope that um, we're going to post a picture of you on the website with the the podcast here. So I hope that people will come and just, I mean, I am very impressed by your enthusiasm, (laughs) but also your background, too. I mean, best of luck to you. I look forward to uh, introducing you to some some other folks as well. And coming up, I sat down with the the president and CEO of a company called OB Medical Company. Weaver Gaines joined me. Uh, He was going to be here in the studio, but uh, had a a meeting that he was not able to avoid. So uh, I caught caught up with him by phone yesterday. Pretty cool technology that they've developed around... the uh, birthing process monitoring device that uh, is able to give some greater accuracy with some readings and a measure of um, mobility for the for the expectant mother who's in the process of delivery that in the past uh, hasn't been available with some current technology. So here is Weaver Gaines talking about the uh, technology they're bringing out through OB Medical. Check it out. I'm sitting down with Weaver Gaines, president and CEO of OB Medical. They're a recently launched company that's in the process of coming out with technology that's going to allow OB physicians and their staff to be able to monitor mom and baby in an innovative way. As I was talking with Weaver before we went on air today, um, he was sharing about the fact that the technology really hasn't changed in decades as it relates to how the the process is monitored, uh, trying to keep track of the baby's heart rates, keep track of contractions, mom's vital signs, things like that. And the company is utilizing more modern technology now to actually make the mother more comfortable, give more accurate readings to the physician and their their other uh, healthcare providers that are monitoring mom and baby. And so I'm real pleased to sit down with Weaver and talk a little bit about the solution that they've developed. So Weaver, thanks for taking some time. See, Debbie, I'm delighted to take the time, and you're welcome. And so 
as we were talking about, you mentioned the fact that the the technology behind the the monitors that they've been using in the OB you know delivery room that it really hasn't changed in something like forty years. That's amazing to me. It is amazing, isn't it? Um, and if you uh, have ever been at a childbirth, I'm assuming you haven't been through childbirth. Uh, I have in several. Yeah, I came from a nursing background, so I actually have seen a few. So what you see when you see the typical monitoring solution right now are these two disc-shaped things called transducers that are strapped onto the mother's belly with Velcro straps. They go all the way around, and they're tight and uncomfortable for many women, and some women are, are just simply too round. You can't get the transducers to work. And the two transducers, one is called a tocodynamometer. Everybody calls it toco for obvious reasons, that picks up the mother's contractions basically from a change in skin tension. So it works like a strain gauge on your bathroom scale. And if you're obese enough, the skin tension doesn't change, so it can't pick up contraction. And the other transducer is an ultrasound, and it picks up the baby's heartbeat essentially by sending out a pulse that looks to pick up the change in the space that will happen when the baby's heart contracts, and then it also is transmitted into the standard monitor. There's a monitor in everybody's room that all this stuff plugs into it with these cables. And that also has its problems. And the main problems, you kept talking about physicians, CW, but the people who are usually there most of the time doing most of the work, if you're out of a nursing background, it will come as no surprise to you, is not the doctor, it's the nurse. And they're in the room all the time trying to get these transducers to work well. So I have a kind of private theory about why it's gone on so long like this. I mean, in, in private, this is a woman's health care issue. And for a lot of years, women's health care really didn't get the kind of attention that you would expect it to get. And you know, baby, mother's been having babies for hundreds of thousands of years. I guess pretty much people thought, well, they'll go right on having babies, <laughs> and this is good enough. But it's not good enough. So if the, in, if the external devices don't work, what you have to do next is internal. So the two things you can do internally, you can put in an intrauterine pressure catheter, which measures the contractions, or you can put in a fetal scalp electrode, which is screwed into the baby's scalp to pick up the fetal heart rate. And, of course, those solutions have got their own problems. Right. They risk infection. You can't use them if the mother has a systemic infection like herpes or HIV or hepatitis C. It requires, in many states, has to have a physician come put it in, so you got to call the physician and wait, during which time the mother is not being monitored. Um, and it, it can perforate the uterus. There are lots of bad things about these internal devices. But if you can't get a good external read, you have to do one of two things. You have to put in the internal devices, or if you're concerned enough, you do a cesarean section. So cesarean infections are increasing in this country. They're up at about 30% now of all birds. And they're bad for the baby, and they're even bad for the mother. So it would be nice if we didn't have to do these internal devices, and it would be nice if we hadn't do, didn't have to do the cesarean sections that are presently being done. And that's what OB Medical's product, which we call LaborView, 
is aimed at um, ameliorating and taking care of. I was looking at the piece that you sent me that describes the device that you've designed, and it certainly looks like it would be one that wouldn't cause discomfort to to use. It's um, it's kind of like a, a large uh, EKG, you know, kind of device, if you will, it, that adheres to the to the abdomen and and uses electrodes as you were describing and i guess the way it is detecting the changes and the the pulse rates and different things like that is because it's able to pick up uh, electrical activity correct that's exactly right and it is in fact an ekg although we're not using it for the purposes of picking up we could pick up we do pick up the um the ekg waves but we're just right now counting the baby's heartbeat. And, and the reason the doctor wants to know this is there is a relationship between a contraction and what the baby's heart does. And what should happen when there's a contraction uh, is would be regarded as normal. But if you have a disturbing trace, they're called trace, if you have a disturbing trace in the fetal heart rate, called, for example, a late deceleration, it means you have to look and see what's causing it because one of the things that could be causing it is a problem with the baby. Not always, but that's what you're looking for. And it does look like uh, an EKG arrangement, except it's, it's basically on the mother's abdomen, and the, uh, the electrodes plug into a transmitter that's about half the size of a deck of cards that's wireless. And that sends the information to the base station, which sits on top of the old monitor. And inside that base station, which is about the size of a really big trade paperback, is digital, very sophisticated digital signal processing software, which takes the electrical signals that are generated by the contraction of the heart of mother and baby and the contraction muscles, separates it from all the other noise, which is on the surface of the skin, muscular activity that's skeletal, blood movement, and so on, uh, and then displays it in the normal way so the doctor and the nurses see what they're accustomed to seeing on the legacy monitor, which is produced by a company like GE or Philips Healthcare. Mm-hmm. And, and because the mother can walk around, go to the bathroom without being disconnected, can sit in a rocking chair, bounce on a birthing ball. She could do all of those things, which she cannot do without being disconnected from the monitoring device when they're all wired in. Um, there are some people who say, although it's somewhat controversial, but there are a lot of doctors and nurses who believe that you can shorten labor by up to as much as an hour if the mother can move around. Yeah, that's what um, I was going to say. A lot as you were describing it, it that, those were the first things that started coming to mind. Was the fact that you, uh, I've got a, I've got a daughter. You know, still remember the process. You, it is a cumbersome process as it is right now. But without this technology, to be able to have the mother be able to get up and move around in the, um, in the room, she needs to go to the bathroom, as you mentioned, or even just get up and change positions during the earlier phases of the labor, where it's going to be a while yet, and just being able to move and change positions can bring them greater comfort and move things along a little bit more readily. Um, I can see where this would certainly be appealing to parent and to the medical staff. Well, I can tell you that we have demonstrated this 
uh, it's in the the product is right now undergoing a field trial, which is uh, our desire to have the cleared product was cleared by the FDA several months ago, but we want the product to be used in a hospital with a normal hospital staff so that we can test and see whether our training is adequate, what kinds of different problems are going to come up that if they were to come up during a clinical trial, you have very highly trained, specified people who are fully familiar with the product there. Before we do the national launch, uh, the big launch, uh, but I can tell you that we have demonstrated it in over 20 hospitals at the request of the hospitals, and the nurses really can't wait to get their hands on this product. Oh, of course, I, it has sure. to work, yeah. but they they love the idea, and they love the idea that they can spend their time helping the patient and not constantly adjusting these. Um, old transducers to try and pick the signal back up. Another advantage is that with the old transducers, if you if you want to give the mother uh, an epidural, uh, it, it's almost impossible to give the mother an epidural with the old transducers, and the nurses find themselves crouching. Uh, they they can't get the uh, epidural uh, in without literally standing on their head to try and hold the transducers against the belly. <laughs> uh, to try and keep the monitoring system going. So, well, you're ta- you're uh, talking like for this reason. You're, also, you're talking about the fact that you were testing the devices in a number of hospitals. Is that one of the things? Because clearly, one of the things that we're trying to do here with Health Connect South is to help organizations such as OB Medical uh, be able to identify resources that they need to move their projects along more quickly and on a broader scale. So are you still in the phase where you're trying to seek out additional hospitals that would trial the uh, device, or are you kind of in the place where that's that's well where it needs to be and you need other resources? Um, well, first, I, I applaud uh, your radio station for what you are doing. Uh, but we've got more hospitals that want to trial the device, and we even have purchase orders for the device, and we know what to do with. But what we do want to do uh, is the biggest birth hospital in the country is located, guess where, CW? I would assume at Northside. It's correct, in Atlanta. And we've had some preliminary discussions with them, but we don't want to trial the device there. We want to go there with a device where we're pretty sure we know what kinds of issues are going to come up because you really don't want to make a mistake with a hospital that size. Sure. Um, and uh, and I think I mentioned to you before, uh, the Atlanta Technology Angels, a really outstanding Atlanta-based angel network, is a major investor in OB Medical. Uh, and so I think they would like to know that we're on the right track and that we'll be up there with Northside Hospital as soon as we can get there. <laughs> so do you have the funding that you need, or are you still looking for that? When you're a startup company, you're always looking for funding. We are in the middle of a Series A round right this minute, negotiating a term sheet. And we will unquestionably need a Series B round following that. Um, Series A means the first institutional round. All of our investors up until now have been uh, angels or angel networks or angel 
sidecar funds, which are funds that invest alongside the angel network. So, yes, we need more money. I'm beginning to think I will always need more money. It seems to be like um, raining on your picnic or the ants coming. You never are safe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, are there other devices that you're working on? What what's uh, what's the future look like beyond this one? It sounds like it's going to be a very popular device that should take off once you get it to to the market. Are you de- de- developing other things that will help this space? Yes, this technology. Um, as, as I told you, what we're really replacing are the sensors, the transducers that work with the old monitor, right? And those monitors are expensive. They're fifteen, eighteen, twenty thousand dollars each. So if a hospital has twenty rooms, that's four hundred thousand dollars just for the equipment. Well, we could actually make the whole monitor for about five or six thousand dollars. But we thought as a marketing strategy, going into a hospital and saying, Hi, you've never heard of us. Please get rid of your VE equipment and buy our equipment was probably going to be a tough sell, right? Yeah. Uh, So the first thing we thought we would do is help the hospital understand the new technology's capabilities, but not ask them to do anything different other than change the sensor. So it would be like you bought a Lexus, you have a terrific automobile, you love it, and I come along and I say, I don't want you to buy my new OB medical car. All I want to do is sell you these really high-quality spark plugs that will make your Lexus work better. And uh, it's that approach that we were using. But there are some really exciting potential products that are available using this technology. For example, about half of all pregnancies in the United States report that they are having preterm contractions. So term in this country means 36 completed weeks of gestation. And if you have contractions before then, the question is, hmm, is this preterm labor, which is a really bad thing, or is it harmless contractions since the muscles are getting ready to do the real deed? And the only way to find out right now is, I mean, the only way to find out besides sitting there and waiting and seeing if you have a baby, but the only way to find out from the medical profession is you go into the hospital, you go into a triage room, they do a couple of tests on you, they look at you, and several hours later they say, yep, um, it's true preterm labor, here's these really bad drugs we're going to give you to try and keep you from having the baby too early. Or they say, nah, it was a false alarm, go home. Well, this technology, we believe, and we have experimental evidence to indicate that a proper clinical trial would show we can tell the difference between those two. Maybe save some of those trips uh, to the hospital. And save trips to the hospital, save nice. the hospital from having a uh, triage room tied up and the nurses and doctors who are associated with it. Um, and, uh, and, and because it could be read remotely, uh, the doctor doesn't have to do anything either. He doesn't have to get up at 3 a.m. and come into the hospital because he can sit there and look at his screen and see, no, this signature here, is not the signature of true preterm labor. So that's one uh, product which we're working on. Another product we call the progress of labor product. Right now, just like I told you, the technology hasn't changed that much in 40 years for monitoring mother and baby. 
the technology for determining whether you're going to have a successful vaginal birth or not, as far as I know, hasn't changed in a couple hundred years. And it's sort of a rule of thumb. If you've been in labor for X period of time and the cervix is not dilated more than Y centimeters, it's never going to work. We're going to do a C-section. But this technology can actually tell the direction and um, propagation of the contraction. Right now, all you can tell about a contraction is you're having one. Right. But if you can imagine a toothpaste tube, CW, if you squeeze the tube from the wrong end so that it starts up by the nozzle and goes back toward the end, you'll never get the toothpaste out. And if a contraction is going the wrong way, the vaginal birth will never happen. If it's going the right way, it just may be slow. And this technology, we think, and again, all of this is subject to clinical trial, uh, we think we'll be able to tell. Yeah, if you just are patient, even if the cervix is not lengthening and dilating the way it should be, if you're patient, this should result in a vaginal birth. And that would be another way to try to avoid cesarean section. Wow. Sounds so like those you're... two things are... I was just going to say, it sounds like you're really doing some great innovations that are going to have a significant clinical impact on outcomes for women and babies uh, in the birth uh, process. That, that would be our hope. And the last thing we have in mind would be a mobile application. When the mother's at home, she can put this device on. It'll go to her cell phone or her iPad. It'll be transmitted to an MD somewhere who will look, or a nurse who will look at the patterns and be able to provide the mother with a variety of things, including, for example, a non-stress test, which is a typical test done preterm. Remember, we're not cleared for preterm yet. Uh, and again, save trips into the hospital or the doctor's office. So all of that lies in the future. Uh, and by that time, we hope we will have established some credibility. Oh, yeah, OB Medical, they make this really cool device, the labor view. Let's take a look at this other thing that they say they're coming out with. So that's in our aspired to future. Um, if we can make the various things work along the way. We'll have to have you come back as we get further into your launch and uh, when you have some more of these devices on the horizon. We've been talking with Weaver Gaines, president and CEO of a company called OB Medical, clearly innovating in the space of uh child delivery in the birth process, helping uh, have a more effective monitoring option that uh, gives the mother mobility as well as greater accuracy in many ways than the more outdated modes of monitoring that we've been using the last few years. Real quickly, Weaver, can you tell folks where to go to get some more information about OB Medical? Sure. We have a website. It's obmedco.com, obmedco, M-E-D-C-O, obmedco.com. And you can find out more about us there. All right. Well, thanks so much for taking some time uh, to get on the phone with me, Weaver. And next time we'll have to have you here with us in the studio so we can see your face. <laughs> I, I'm not sure seeing my face is something you really want to aspire to, but thanks for, for talking with us. I appreciate it. And All right. Well, thanks again for your time. We'll talk to you again real soon. All right. Bye -bye. Thanks so much, Weaver. 
And to Osama Hashmi of Vitamin C, thanks very much for joining us in the studio to talk about this cool technology platform that they're developing. Sounds like there's a wide range of application across healthcare and maybe even beyond healthcare. And um, so we really appreciate you taking time to join us here in the studio and talk about it, man. Thanks so much for having me. And um, if you've not done so already, make sure that you go to healthconnectsouth.com and get registered for the upcoming Health Connect South event September 16th. There's a special promo, right, Jay? Yeah, the special code for our listeners is Radio X. So just go to healthconnectsouth.com, and when you go to register, there will be a place to enter a discount code and type in Radio X. And you get $100 off, right? That's correct. And uh, Diana, to you and your folks over at Sherwick, thanks for helping make this program available to the folks every week. We really enjoy having you here on the show and uh, letting folks know about what you all do over at Sherwick Media Group. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure, and um, we're looking forward to seeing everybody at Health Connect South. That's right, and and do make sure you get over there and uh, get registered for the event. I can assure you the, the folks you're going to meet there uh, will be quite impressive. Uh, I, I'd all but guarantee you'll make some connections that would be useful to whatever enterprise or research facility that you're that you're working with. So uh, we hope to see everyone there. And if you do get to the Health Connect South event, make sure you stop by because we'll be having some some discussions on uh, on tape over there with uh, with the radio. There's a special table set up in the connect in the connection area, the networking area with Radio X. Oh, I thought I was going to be in the big room tapping on the glass, <laughs> annoying the shark in the fish tank with a snorkel. <laughs> oh, that's right. snorkel scuba <laughs> scuba. Well, okay. to to uh, Osama and uh, Weaver, thanks for making some time to join us here on the show, and to everybody who made us a part of their day today. We really appreciate you. We hope you turn around and share it with your connections uh, through your social media and LinkedIn and all of that, because uh, this information might end up being the the piece that put somebody together with the resources they need and you would have a hand in that so we know that would be a great thing for you make sure to make an appointment to see us same time same place next week we'll see you then this show is brought to you by sherwick media sherwick is the health and wellness solution content that inspires change learn more at www.sherwick.com that's sharewik.com and link up with us on facebook and twitter